1: Needed prayer, and I just was looking for a way to get out of there. So, this evangelist came walking down, pushed past all the people in line, and said, Jesus is telling me there's someone here who I need to pray for. He's going to heal them right now. And he came straight up to me and said, And it's you, it's you.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Eve Johnston is joining us again today. She's the author of the book, A Love Letter to My Children, about her traumatic life journey through abuse, teenage pregnancy and domestic violence. However, her subtitle says, no matter how difficult the circumstances, there is always hope for a brighter future. We'll find out about that hope as Eve shares more of her story with us today. And parents, we just want to remind you that due to the adult themes being discussed, today's program is not recommended for young children. Once again, Eve Johnston is chatting with Eric Scatterbow from her home in Yapoon, Queensland.
2: Welcome back to the program, Eve Johnston.
1: Thank you, Eric.
2: Glad to have you with us once again, and we're going to pick up the story right after you escaped from that extremely violent relationship that you're in, a completely controlling person had you locked in a house, but you managed to escape miraculously. What was going on in your life at that point?
1: Oh, it was just trauma and drama. It's just, I didn't know who I was Mm -hmm. or where to run to. I just had no idea. I was just frantically searching for someone mm. to accept me or mm. something to take away the pain that I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I got into another dysfunctional relationship and this man was an alcoholic. I didn't realize at the time just how bad his um, alcohol had taken over his life. Mm. He wasn't physically violent but he spent so much money on alcohol that there was no, no money left for food So I became very good at picking his pocket so I would wait until he went to sleep at night. He usually went to sleep in front of the TV and I would crawl along the floor and very slowly remove his wallet from his pocket and take enough money, just enough money to feed myself and the children for the week. Mm. I had to do this. He never realized that that money was missing. He must have just thought, well, he'd spent more than he thought on alcohol. Mm. I don't know, but I felt terrible. I'd never stolen anything before. I tried to steal something actually once before, and I ended up taking it back to the shop, and that was a bottle of nail polish. But Mm. I just knew... uh, being Growing up in a church, even though I walked away from the church, Mm -hmm. I knew that stealing wasn't right, but I had to do this so my children could survive.
2: And how many children did you have at this point?
1: I had four at this time.
2: And so, inside, you're searching for love and acceptance. You even, as you shared last time, dabbled in the occult, hoping that would bring you some fulfillment as well. And uh, also, your eating became a problem.
1: Yes, it did. Um, It was sort of almost like a a self-sabotage. I I still didn't like myself. It's just like I couldn't make things work out. And Hmm. I felt guilty for what I was taking my children through also. And one of my children became very ill and I took her to a naturopath and and the naturopath seemed to heal her uh, with all these healthy foods. So I became very obsessed with eating only the best foods and then I became obsessed with fasting and and doing all these extreme and absurd things, and um, the self-hatred grew and grew and grew to the point where I became bulimic, but didn't know that's what it was called. It wasn't, I'd never heard of it before, and it wasn't until years later I realized what I was doing.
2: And for people who are not familiar with bulimia, what is that?
1: It was... I would starve myself all day, maybe just eat one piece of fruit. Um, And at night, I had this, like I just wanted to gorge myself with sugar. Mm. So I would eat lots of lollies and unhealthy things, and I'd feel guilty. And then so I would put my hands, my fingers down my throat and throw it all back up again.
2: Mm. So an eating disorder on top of everything else. Yes. Uh, really confused inside, miserable. Yes. Yes. All In- of that. And then in the middle of all this, you found a lump.
1: I found a lump in my prayers, Derek. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't know why. I lived on a property and I there was a creek. And I just had a desire to baptize myself.
2: I just had out of the blue.
1: Pre- yes, just out of the blue. I was so frightened by what I felt. I mm. thought, oh my goodness, what happens if I die? Like, I, I don't know God and... I have been christened as a child, but I've heard, I was sort of dabbling a little bit in church, watching a few Christians that I mm. knew. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I really felt I needed to baptize myself. So I took myself down to the creek. I said a prayer to God, the God I knew of my childhood. Mm-hmm. I prayed, please don't take me. I'm so frightened that this is something really bad. And then I submerged myself under the water. hmm And I felt, I just said, God, I I think I've just baptized myself and I want to go to heaven. I really really want you to help me. And so as I was walking back up the creek bank, Mm -hmm. I heard a voice and the voice said, you have cancer and you need surgery. Oh, wow. And I fell, I fell to the creek bank and I cried. I knew it was God. I just knew that he had just spoken to me. And I felt so unworthy, but at the same time, I knew that maybe or I thought maybe it's a warning. So I made all these promises to God. I said, look, God, I will go to the doctor and yes, I'll, I will have surgery or whatever it takes, but mm-hmm. so long as, as um, you save me and after I found out I had to have an operation, they did biopsies and yes, I had breast cancer, mm-hmm. sure enough, and it was an urgent operation. It was quite urgent. Hmm. had all that done, and then I made all these promises to God that I would start going to church, that I would I would pray more, but I recovered very quickly, and after four weeks, it was like I'd almost forgotten that, oh, wow. that I'd even prayed those prayers.
2: Why do you think that was?
1: I think I was very messed up, and I just slipped back into that old lifestyle, but then five years later, the cancer returned. Hmm. And this time I really did fall on my face before the Lord and I did. I said, I'm sincerely sorry. I repented of of not being a better person and not fulfilling all those promises that I had promised him about. Mm -hmm. I would follow him. I would go to church. I totally just had walked away again. Mm -hmm. But I made all these promises. I actually heard through the newspaper that there was an evangelist visiting our town in Yipoon. Mm-hmm. And I actually went to um, a meeting of his. So it was held underneath a church, or well, under a school building, actually, not a church.
2: So your intention was to turn the corner or go toward the Lord for real this time. Is that right? Yes,
1: yes. I really, really felt that I, I had no no option and that my life was in such a mess. Mm-hmm. And I felt I had caused it, Um by just all these wrong decisions and I I had nowhere else to run Eric mm, yeah. there was nowhere else to run I thought this time surely I'm going to die so I went to this evangelist and I, I didn't like him he was <laughs> um
2: You didn't like him what didn't you like about him
1: I think his light shone too much into the darkness
2: of my soul Oh maybe he was and, convicting you
1: Yes yes Yes, he was. But I didn't realize that at the time. So he gave a message. He said many people had been healed the night before at a meeting. And I was thinking, yes, what a load of rubbish. And I just want to run. I just want to get out of here. So he called people forward who needed prayer for sickness or for anything else after Mm -hmm. he had um, spoken. And I just was looking for a way to get out of there. So I followed a line of people that were walking forward for prayer down. I could see a row of seats that were empty just up to my left and I thought as soon as I get to those seats I'm going to run and jump that fence and get in my car and go. So Mm -hmm. as it turned out I didn't get to go anywhere. What happened? This this evangelist came walking down, pushed past all the people in line and said Jesus is telling me there's someone here who I need to pray for. He's going to heal them right now and he came straight up to me and said and it's you, it's you. What did you think? I just said, I was embarrassed. I said, oh, please take that microphone away because he started speaking into it. He said, yes, I will. He handed it to someone else. Mm -hmm. I I was scared. I was Mm -hmm. so scared. Because you're wanting to
2: just run out of there.
1: I did. Mm -hmm. I did. And he said, please, can I pray for you? And I said, yes, you can. And so he prayed and I felt heat move through my body. Mm -hmm. He said, would you come back to the meeting? We're having another meeting tonight. I'd like to pray with you again. Well, I never went back to that meeting. I just bolted out of where I was and went home, so confused, but knowing that something had happened,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but not knowing what. And yeah. the operation for the cancer was on the Wednesday. So I didn't go back to that meeting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And my friend rang me on um, the Monday before the Wednesday. She said, why didn't you come? I said, I'm frightened. I felt something in my body. And she said, well, it's okay because the evangelist prayed with me and we both prayed for you to be healed. You're going to be fine. So I went for the operation. Mm -hmm. They removed the lump, another lump. The doctor phoned me a week later and said, I I really need to see you urgently. And I thought, that's it, I'm dying. A doctor doesn't ring you and say he needs to see you urgently unless there's something really wrong.
3: Mm.
1: So I didn't take a family member with me. I took my friend. And when we arrived there and went into the doctor's surgery, he had two pieces of paper before him. One was the original uh, result of the biopsy that he had taken that showed that I had invasive breast cancer. Mm -hmm. The other piece of paper, he said, I just can't believe this. We removed the lump, sent it to pathology, and the pathology has come back. There is not one cancer cell in that lump. I don't know. I can't explain this. Wow. I can't explain it. So I was, of course, I was overjoyed. I left there.
2: Yeah, because you thought you were going to die.
1: I did. I thought I was going to die. And I thought, and I knew it was God who had healed me. But I was still not that keen on jumping straight in and going to church until I met a lady. And in my book, I call, call her Pastor Mary. And she started to come to me for massage because I'm a, I am a remedial massage therapist.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, but but, but Pastor, just before you get into Pastor Mary, uh, I'm just wondering, how are you feeling inside here? You're all confused in all these different things that we were talking about earlier. You're miserable. And now you find out God loves you and healed you. Yes. Yes. How did that impact you?
1: I began to feel better about myself, actually. Mm-hmm. I began to feel different but I can't explain how and I thought maybe it's the Lord but I didn't really know and I didn't go to church I didn't speak to anyone really about it Mm -hmm. I told people that I'd been healed and I certainly told Pastor Mary
0: you're listening to the story Our guest today is once again Eve Johnston, who's the author of the book, A Love Letter to My Children, about her remarkable life journey. As we're hearing at this point in her life, she's been healed by the Lord, but she still has not given her life to Him. Next, we'll find out about the impact Pastor Mary has on her life. We're back with more of Eve Johnston sharing her life journey that began on a farm in New South Wales in a loving family, but sadly, a life that took a downward turn after she was abused by a family friend. Also at 16 years old, Eve became an unwed mother and gave birth to a child she only saw for five minutes before she was forced to give him up for adoption. Before the break, we heard how the Lord had healed Eve, but she still had not given her life to him. Next, we'll find out about the impact Pastor Mary had on her life as she continues her chat with Eric Scatterbo.
2: Tell us about Pastor Mary. Who is she?
1: Now, I met her through my work as a remedial massage therapist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She would come for massage. She would talk to me about Jesus, and it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And sometimes I would feel like just about driving her through the massage table <laughs> because she was shining a light into the, the darkness that was beginning to become a little bit light.
2: So even though you were healed, you still didn't want to hear about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus at this point.
1: I wanted to hear maybe about Jesus, but not so much as she was piling onto me.
2: So she was pretty full on at this point.
1: She was really full on. And she's an Irish lady, so she would not leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) But then I started to um, take note of her. She would sometimes come for a massage. She would always have her phone near her. And often I would be five or ten minutes into the massage. She would receive a phone call. Mary said, Eve, someone needs me. I have to go. I have to go and help this person. She would then pay me the full amount for that massage.
2: Wow. So she was generous. That got your attention.
1: She was generous. Then I started to look at uh, other Christians that I knew, and they had a piece about them. They had something that I wanted. Mm. They had, even though some of them were going through a lot of stuff in in their lives, they had they had an assurance. They had a, a confidence about them that I wanted. Hmm. So I began to really be a fringe dweller, Christian.
2: Wait, what does that I mean? Was
1: on the, I was on the fringes looking in. Well, uh, yes, oh, do okay. I really want this? But I'm scared to give up this this silly lifestyle that I felt so attached to. hmm but then eventually, um, after four years, sometimes I'd cross the street when I would see Pastor Mary coming. <laughs> <laughs> but after four years, I I could see that I needed to give my life to the Lord. He had done so much for me, mm-hmm. and now he was surrounding me with kind, loving, caring people. So I gave my life to the Lord at oh, 54 fantastic. years of age.
2: Fifty-four? Yes, And it started when you were four years old, when he planted a seed.
1: Yes. God had planted a seed, and I wanted to be a missionary at four years old. Well, I started to go to Pastor Mary and Jack's church, Mm -hmm. and they would send teams overseas on missions trips uh, twice a year. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I really, really wanted to go, but I had no money Mm
3: -hmm.
2: in the bank. Yeah.
1: But... Three years after I started going to their church, a miracle happened. All of a sudden, I had money, and I went on my first missions trip to Bulgaria and Macedonia.
3: Oh, fantastic. I
1: saw the Lord at work in people's lives Mm. after the gospel message was preached, many giving their lives to Jesus, Mm -hmm. and then we would lay hands on the sick, and a lot of them would recover. Hmm. And it was happening here in Australia, too. It wasn't just overseas. Um, I started to see that in church here. Yeah, But, over, I mean, it was just like a it impacted me so much. Um, I came back. We actually, after that mission trip, we went and had a little time in Israel. Mm-hmm. And to be in the Holy Land just was like icing on the cake.
2: Could you have ever imagined that that would have happened in your life?
1: No, no, but I just remember this childhood desire at four years old. It was like he placed that desire in my heart way back then. Yeah. And now it was happening.
2: Wow, fantastic. Yeah. Where else did you go? So
1: we came back from Mozambique and within three months I was on another trip to Indonesia.
2: Wow, you go girl. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) So then I went to Indonesia. Then uh, in 2016… I went and worked in a, I volunteered in an orphanage in Mozambique.
2: Wow, you're just going from one ministry to another. And how are you feeling inside at this point?
1: Oh, I'm just overwhelmed. I just want to serve Him. I just want to know God more and more and to serve Him.
2: Now, are you thinking, why didn't I do this earlier?
1: I was. I, I was wishing I did, but... I I know that God was making up for lost time here (laughs) it was like one wonderful thing happening after another, one blessing after another. Mm -hmm. And so then I was in uh, Mozambique in the orphanage Mm -hmm. and I was sitting in a prayer hut early hours of one morning in 2016 and God spoke to me audibly once again and Mm -hmm. said, Eve, I want you to write your story. He said, I want you to write it in a way that you don't leave anything out because immediately I think I can't tell people what I've been through. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to shock people. Mm. And the Lord said audibly to me, without that, if you don't tell the truth, it will not bring glory to me Mm. about how I have saved you, how I have protected you through all this and how now you're walking with me. Mm. So I wrote all this in a little blue book, which I have. I can see it as I sit here. I wrote everything down. He spoke to me. I walked away from that prayer hut. I went down to my room and there was a man standing in the garden just down from my little room and he was beckoning to me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I walked down and I, and I said, what do you want? And he, he was crying. He said, God just told me to tell you to write your story and wow. not to leave anything out. And we just hugged and cried and rejoiced and yes.
2: So that was the beginning of writing down everything that happened, a lot of which you've shared with us. Yes, yes. But we also want to go back to that traumatic time when you were 16 years old when you were an unwed mother giving birth to a child. Yes. And the child was ripped out of your arms.
1: Yes, Okay, so going back to there, um, I searched for that little baby from that very time. Mm-hmm. I actually almost got locked up for trying to bribe a, um, oh, I forget who he was, he was a social worker, mm. but I saved up a lot of, oh, well, I thought it was a lot of money, and I offered it to him to tell me where my little boy was, just so I could, I didn't want to steal him or take him from the people who had adopted him. I just mm. wanted to look at him. Yeah, I was so messed up. I was looking in prams.
2: So this is years earlier before you were a Christian when you were searching.
1: Yes. So I joined um, two groups. I joined Jigsaw, and that is a group of people who support uh, not only birth mothers, but also adoptees, and also the adopted parents in this process. So I joined them. As my children grew older, my daughters, they started searching too for him. Mm -hmm. We placed ads in the Pix People magazine, Uh, I think the Salvation Army had a a section in there for uh, people who were searching for lost relatives. Mm -hmm. I almost went crazy looking for my son, and then the government changed the rules. And all of a sudden, um, birth mothers could have access to the birth certificates of their adopted children, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: the children that they had adopted. So I went to the courthouse. uh, I received his birth certificate. And on there, I could see where he lived, um, who his parents were. So I did not want to upset them in any way. So I went through a counsellor. They had counsellors at that time. Who would do exactly this? I gave my counsellor the information, and she contacted my son's parents. Mm-hmm. They told her that it, they had never told him he was adopted. So I hit a dead end. Oh wow! So I kept kept the heartache continued. It's mm. it's just I can't explain it. Yeah. Uh, long story short, we found him, and one of my daughters contacted him. She spoke to him on the phone, and that was enough for me for the time being. Mm-hmm. He asked if he could speak to me and I, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't speak to him at that time. I think I was so frightened of being rejected. Mm. He said that he'd found out he was adopted and he felt he'd been living a lie all his life. But I just left it there for then. And I said to my daughter, I don't want to go any further with this for now. Yeah. After a little while, uh, I met a lady and she said to me, you can actually talk to him. He was in the armed forces. You Mm -hmm. can talk to not him but one of his hierarchy and they will tell you maybe a little bit about him. So I rang and this person that I spoke to asked me if they could put me through to the chaplain once they found out what it was all about. Mm -hmm. So the chaplain actually told me a whole lot of information about him and how wonderful he was and what his position was and how he was best friends with him.
3: Mm. Oh, wow.
1: And in the end, I phoned him one day. I just really felt to phone him at his work, Mm -hmm. he answered the phone. I thought I would have to be put through to someone and we spoke and we kept up contact via telephone and eventually I asked him if he would like to meet me and he said yes. So, (laughs) we met. Yes, we met um, in Sydney and it was just the most amazing experience. I can hardly explain it, Eric.
2: Yeah, I, I can't even imagine how you must have been feeling at the time.
1: I had made up my mind not to cry and not to make any move towards him unless he made a move to hug me. I wasn't mm. going to hug him. Well, he walked towards me and he just put his arms out and I fell into his arms. Oh. And- I didn't cry, I just held it all together because I thought he might run away and think I was uh, just some sort of crazy woman. Mm. So, I just, he held me for so long and it was like I was holding that little baby again wow. 46 and a half years later. Wow. Yes. God answered my prayer. It took that long. But wow. he answered my prayer in his timing. It was his perfect timing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we have to wrap up this conversation, but on the one hand... It's terrible, all these traumatic things that you've gone through. But on the other hand, the Lord has just been filling your cup to overflowing. It's fantastic how you're going on these adventures and just serving Him. Any final comments you want to share with our listeners?
1: Uh, Yes, just one final comment. In Mozambique, I was told by a man that someone was going to give me a van. Uh, That Mm -hmm. was in 2016. Someone Mm -hmm. came forward and gave me a van about two months ago. So I'm taking my book on the road. Oh, okay. God supplied that band
2: Fantastic, to, yes. so you're sharing yeah. what you've been through to be a blessing to others and let exactly. them know that there's hope no matter exactly. how many traumatic things you've gone through
1: That's it, that's it, I'm so excited
2: Thank you so much Eve Johnston for sharing your remarkable story with us today
1: And thank you Eric for giving me the opportunity
2: It's been my pleasure
0: Well, that was part two of Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Eve Johnston, who's the author of the book A Love Letter to My Children, which has the subtitle No Matter How Difficult the Circumstances There Is Always Hope for a Brighter Future And Eve is certainly living proof of that statement with her life being a living testimony to all of the restoration powers of God As Jesus says in the Bible, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy But I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly The thief, meaning the devil, certainly did his best to steal, kill and destroy Eve's life As she went from one traumatic experience to another But as we heard, the Lord has given her life and has given it to her more abundantly Until her cup overflows It's just fantastic to hear Well how about you? Has the devil been trying to steal, kill and destroy you? Are you looking to be set free? Why not give your life to the Lord like Eve has done? If you would like to pray with someone about this, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. We'd love to pray with you on that number again, 1-800-772-936. Finally, to find out more about Eve and her book, you can go to her website, evejohnston.com. Once again, that's Eve Johnston. Com. Well, thanks for joining us for part two of Eve Johnston's remarkable story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. It truly angered me. It didn't annoy me. It angered me so much
2: that we were uh, building some units. And so we're working away there one day and he kept telling me about Jesus. And I was across the other side of the uh, building block And I just became so angry that I thought there's only one way to stop this, and that is that I'm just going to murder him.
0: Shane Cunningham was working as a bricklayer when another guy kept telling him that Jesus loved him. This made Shane so angry he couldn't take it anymore and picked up a trowel intent on killing the Christian co-worker. But instead, something miraculous happened. We'll hear the full story next time. The The Story... Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.